0: I'm excited about what I'm teaching about tonight. The title of tonight's teaching is Good and Bad Sad. Does that make you wonder or get curious? Good and Bad Sad. Now, and let's turn to 2 Corinthians 6. That's where we're going to be. Now, most of my life I thought of sad as being bad, right? Sad equals bad. We don't want to be sad. Sad is not good, it's bad the Bible doesn't say that's true. The Bible actually says that there's good sorrow and bad sorrow. There, there's both. And so what I want to look about, look at today and throughout this teaching and, and the overview of this, of what does good sad look like? What does bad sad look like? So that you can know the difference. And not just that, I also want to talk about because we're t- you know, generally speaking about some negative feelings. Sadness is going to be a big theme. But also, I want to talk about the difference between hurt and harm. We also have a tendency to think that hurt is bad. If you feel hurt, if you feel pain, that's bad. Any pain is bad. And the Bible doesn't say that either. The Bi- there is good pain and bad pain. There is useful pain and destructive pain. So I also want to look at that and what the scripture says about it. And this topic I'm really excited about because I fought most of my life to hide bad, sad, hurt. I, I worked really hard. You know, I was, I was even raised in a church that everything was about be positive. If you're a Christian, it's all positive. Positive thinking. You know, like... Like, I I listened to success seminars when I was young, and they they just, I, I was just like, that the key to life is just thinking positively. And I don't think that anymore. I think the key to life is thinking reality. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes reality's good. Sometimes reality's bad. Sometimes reality makes you sad. Sometimes reality makes you happy. I think the key to life is living in reality, not whether it's sad or happy or, or whatever. And I think ultimately, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look here. I'll, I'll give you an example, actually, uh, that's kind of funny. You might have heard this joke before. Where um, there's, you know, a thief and a surgeon do essentially the same thing. They take a knife, cut you open, take all your money. One is, could kill you. One, you can die and the other one can save your life. Surgeons often cutting you open and taking all your money, you are alive because of that. So, both hurt, both are not comfortable or fun, but one saves your life, one can kill your life or definitely cause you a lot of harm. We tend if we if we live in this thing of everything is about driving us to feel good. Think about that. I would say some of the most destructive things come out from living for what you feel like in the moment. Some of the most damaging, destructive things that cause extreme, long-term, agonizing pain in our lives, excruciating pain, that does not go away, that it goes on and on and on, comes from trying to make ourselves feel good right now just addictions are one of them but if immediate gratification is is not the is not the answer feeling good is not the answer so we want to be in a place that when we're looking at things we're looking at our lives we had talked a couple weeks ago about God's perspective being big picture where we're looking at what is the long range benefit or value or what's the profit or you know what's the profit what's the benefit what's the value in a big picture situation I'm also going to say that you must, it is not optional, you must endure discomfort, hurt, pain, sadness to get to good stuff. You cannot skip over it. There's pain in life. There's, there is no getting out of that. You do not, nobody gets to escape from the pain. You get to choose which pain. You get to choose pain that keeps you stuck in enduring forever and ever and ever in the excruciating stuff that doesn't go away. Or we get to do the surgeon part where the pain is such that it causes us to actually long-term happiness, peace, joy, and benefit. But there's no solution where eliminating pain, you know, we think that, you know, when we do the immediate gratification thing, but it doesn't take us there. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable and not And not feel good in order to grow or to heal. You want any growth, any healing, it's not negotiable. We'll look at the opening here at at 2 Corinthians 6. In verse 1 it says, As God's fellow workers, we urge you. Oh God, I love this. Because I feel this way. I want to beg people sometimes. This is what I want to beg people for. It says, we urge you, we beg you not to receive God's grace in vain. I, I, I'm willing to beg for this. I am willing to beg, beg, beg. What would that mean to not receive God's grace in vain? Think about that. For one, what is the grace of God? It's His favor to all of us, undeserved. It is Him overlooking the sin, shortcoming, all of that, and fighting for us. It's basic. Grace is God being in your corner and fighting for you. Healing and having your life change and having an amazing life is like right in front of you. It is not far away. In fact, it says that, well, gosh, I'm reading the next, I should read the verse that says that. Not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You do not have to wait. It is, oh, I see this so much for people. When I I see, you know, and I think God thinks this way. I think with the prophecy today, how God works in the prophecy even, I think what we heard is so true that God's heart breaks at places he wants to be in our lives where it's, salvation means wholeness. That's essentially what salvation means is becoming whole. The time of salvation is now. It's right in front of us. Whatever part is not whole in your life, God's invitation, God is right in front of you going, it's right here, you can have it now. You do not have to wait for this. You do not have to live in agony. You do not have to continue your suffering. Whatever place that we are not letting God in, there's hurt and suffering and misery. There's destruction. There's harm. And I think about this. I feel like God gives me pictures and visions of what's possible for people, of what he sees as possible. And I know I don't see nearly the picture. Now we see through a glass darkly. So I I figure if I'm seeing this amazing vision of what's possible for people, I'm going, wow, God, what must you be seeing here? Because I know my eyes are so limited. And I can taste it. I'm just like, oh, there's people that I'm just like, oh, I could see with their lives, it's right in front of them. God's inviting to them to something. God's fighting for them. I see God fighting for them and just going, gosh, if you just said yes, if you just took God's invitation, you'd have it all. It would be grand. <laughs> really, it would, grand is a good word for that, actually. So why is it when so much is in front of you as far as what God's inviting you to do, why aren't people taking the step? What is it that's keeping people from going, okay, God, I'll step into that. I'll step into your grace. I will say yes to your invitation. And as we look at the way that this rolls out, I'm going to say that primarily <laughs> anytime time there is change, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to feel good there will be pain. But it's good pain, not bad pain. But there's no escaping the pain. I told you, you just like, you pay now or you pay later. You think about it, any change in healing, anything, no matter what it is, it's going to be uncomfortable. There are things that you will have to give up that have made you happy and made you feel good, and there's loss in that. That's not going to be fun. There's stuff you've got to let go like, God can't give us stuff because sometimes we're so holding on to what we got that there's no room to receive something. So sometimes it's a matter of going, oh, okay, I've got to get let go on what I've gotten by on, what, you know, whatever it is, whatever coping thing it is, the feel-good thing that's not working in our lives, to have our hands open so we can receive what God has. It's not a comfortable, it's not a comfortable process. It's not going to be sweetness and light all the way through. So I think what happens is people have an idea. For one, I think that there's an expectation that anything doesn't feel good isn't good for you. That can't be good. It doesn't feel good. That's a lie. It's a lie of the devil. What is it? No pain, no gain? a lot of truth in that. You know, as far as growth and healing goes, it's not just for working out that that applies. It's not just for exercise or diet or... You know, whatever those things that we accept. I mean, those things we accept that there's got to be some sort of sacrifice to get someplace, and it won't be fun or comfortable to get somewhere. But somehow, when it comes to, you know, healing, growth things, we we postpone that. Delaying gratification doesn't feel good. A lot of us are living in in an instant gratification mode. It's very destructive. You will not get the things you really love in life that make you happy and fulfilled if everything that you're driven by is what do I need to make me feel good in this moment. It's it's weird because you're not even really happy in it, maybe for a moment, but then, you know what I'm saying, like any of these things, whether you're stuck in it, like for me it was sex addiction, you know, for other people it's whatever. It could be detachment, it could be detachment is one. That's not an addiction, but, you know, shutting down yourself emotionally and not feeling there's some kind of comfort in that immediately, but I'm telling you, that is not a, that's not a blessed way to live. You're missing out on so much. This is not happiness happening. You know, this is not a great life that you feel good about. So all these things, as far as the coping stuff that makes us feel good for this moment, and that's all that it does, that can't be what we're living for. Comfort can't be the goal. It's toxic. Comfort is toxic to just like live for comfort, live for feel good. It's what, you have to look at what is the long-range value of our actions. And everyone has to learn how to delay gratification. If you don't have that skill, your life will be crap. I mean, it really will. You have to learn to delay what you feels good now. for Everybody's got to have that you know, inside. If you don't have that, it's super destructive. You can't have a good relationship that way. You got to feel good every moment. I mean, that's how I used to live. I was with guys and they didn't do what I liked. And all of a sudden I'm looking around another guy that how are you going to have a good relationship being like that? It was not possible. I was insane. I thought that I could have a good relationship. It was just looking for the magical person that would make me happy 24 seven. I'm not living in reality back then at all and it sucked and it felt crappy because I was wanting something to happen that didn't exist. I wanted the world to work differently. Part of this is like the whole embracing reality where getting to get what the real options are. The options, a lot of us get really fixated on wanting the world and the laws of life to work differently. I don't want to do any work and I want to have a great relationship right now. I hear that all the time. I mean on the relationship thing. I was one of those people. It was sick. You know, I was married to my ex-husband and cheating on everybody waiting for the magical prince to save me. Oh, that made so much sense. Some fabulous, wonderful guy is going to be attracted to me committing adultery like crazy and sweep me off my feet and rescue me. That was really nuts. So, for me, like, it looked, there was a time that it looked absolutely impossible for me to have any kind of a decent relationship. Because of who I was. And because of the fact that I was living in. What did it do to make me feel good right now? I need to feel good right now. I need to be happy all the time. I need somebody to tell me what I wanted all the time. And be there for me all the time. And, and it wasn't until I went through a healing process. That I could. Adam would have run like crazy. If he had met me back then. Praise the Lord that I didn't meet him in those days. I would have missed out. you know? And. Because he, I mean, anybody healthy would have been disgusted by me back then, (laughs) you know. I was real attractive to those broken, screwed up people, you know. But it's just like anybody that had any sanity could kind of figure it out, you know, in a blink that I was completely out of control and not a safe, healthy person. Um, Okay, let's keep reading. In verse 3... it can c- continues, uh, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited, rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way and great. Endurance in troubles, in hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, and hard work, and sleepless nights, and hunger, impurity, understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine and yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on beaten and yet we're not killed, sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. So Paul's talking about, to the church at Corinth, a lot of this was, he was getting criticized as far as his ministry goes, and and he's saying that his life tells the story that it stands up, that you can examine his life, that in difficult times and good times, he still stood for God in a way that you could look at it and and he sought God out in difficult times. So there was a witness, there was a testimony of his life that no matter what, he was not, we cannot, we cannot have conditions control our lives. You cannot be happy if you are completely circumstance controlled. Do you know what I mean? Like where your happiness, your joy, your peace is completely dependent upon what are the, the, what are the circumstances outside of your control. That's no way to live because, you know, because bad things do happen in this world. And so we want to be in a place that whether it's good or bad or difficult or whatever, you can actually be blessed. I know that from this year, from, you know, all the stuff that happened with the house and with cancer, I was blessed you saw me up here Wednesday, I wasn't fooling, I was blessed, you know, these weren't fun things to deal with, but all through it, my life was still amazing, I'm sorry, it was still better than most people's, it was, I was, I was, I got great friends, got an amazing husband, I've, lo- you know, felt God was there, I felt rich and full through really challenging stuff, and that's, gosh, how great, that's way better, it can't be that everything that our entire peace or happiness are dependent upon external things that we got no control over. Anyway, so he's talking about the fact that the witness of his life through all these things, he's blessed. And in verse eleven it says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. Ouch. Was that a nice thing to say? You know, it's funny what we're going to look at in here. And it's kind of cool because you think I, there was a time, too, that I thought about what Christianity was. And in my earlier days of ministry, um, I, I didn't know a lot. I just love God and love people and didn't. Gosh, so much I, I was really stupid about. And uh, well, part of it was just sort of like I hadn't done my own healing journey. And so I kind of had an idea that what love looked like, what real love looked like, is just making people happy. And so my early—that's why my early ministry wasn't that fruitful, because it was just sort of about trying to make everybody feel good. That was my goal. Let me be nice. Let me be loving. No matter what, wouldn't speak up to anybody. You know, it'd just be love, 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 love. Here, let's dish out some love. Wouldn't say anything that wasn't that wouldn't make people feel good. There was no not feeling good conversations. I had all my conversations were. I am all about making you feel good and and um and so it's kind of interesting as we're going through this because that's something to say for a minister to be saying, I've been given and given, you're not giving back. Well, really? Wow, isn't it like where do you get off, buddy? You know, it's just sort of like it's but why would you do that if you think about it like you're not really serving people unless you're helping them to come along and learn to give too you cannot be a healthy person with when you're just receiving and not giving you ha- we talked about it last week it's got to be receive retain release you've got to receive and you've got to release both you've got you got you can't just oh I'll give 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 and not receive that's toxic or just receive 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 and not give either one of those combinations does not work so he's so it's cool actually this is loving for him saying you're not you know, being there for me the way that I've been there for you, or or giving the back. Anyway, because there's a lot of, um, you'll see in verse 13, it says, as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, which is, that's a loving thing. Open wide your hearts also. He's saying, I've given my heart and my love to you. You can open your heart to me too. And then it says in verse 14, it says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what does fellowship or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of God of the living God, as God said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So a lot of people take this as being like, we should just avoid people that aren't Christian and, you know, have our own little churchy club and let's go up on a mountaintop and ignore those evil other people that don't believe. And um, that's ridiculous. It would contradicts tons of other scriptures, you know. I mean, scripture after scripture that talks about, you know, Paul talks about that, you know, when he was with... The, with the Jews he became a Jew when he was with these people he became like those and you know um, also Jesus you know eating with uh, people the sinners and everybody was mad at him because the people he was eating with weren't goody goody goodies so this can't be what it means so we have to look at um, and it's dangerous and weird and cultish when people relate to this this way this is just like this is really toxic to just relate in a way of just going unbelievers (sighs) ah You know, how's anybody going to become a believer if we're ignoring all the unbelievers, you know? Nobody's going to know about Christ if we go up on a mountaintop and have a little cult to ourselves or something. That That's not helping anybody. So the, the, the concept here, and you'll see it as we go, to be yoked together. That doesn't mean like hang out with or have fun with. To be yoked. Yoke is something that they put around oxen around their necks and so when you are it means to be tied in a way where you're trying to move forward and do something and get something accomplished and you are connected in a way that cannot be separated to move it's kind of an intense thing it's not just a socialize hang out kind of thing and as you see one of the ways that i think as we're going to continue with this that is uncomfortable is that if you want growth and change we have to change our primary relationships You cannot change your life with people that, like, where your main... I'm saying where you're mostly getting fed. I'm not saying socializing. I'm saying the main people that you rely upon, that you open your life to, that you depend upon, if if they don't get God, and that's who you're going to for guidance, you're going to get taken out. You know, alcoholics don't hang out at bars for a reason. Do you know what I mean? There's just, like... It's not a good setup. It's ridiculous, it's stupid, it's hurtful, destructive. It's like, so if you want healing, that can be uncomfortable, but the idea is you need that it's, again, the letting go sometimes is a little bit hard. It doesn't mean you cut off relationships, but relationships typically will switch if you're wanting to be on a healing, growing path, where your closest, most, the people that you're bonding with the most are not going to tell you everything that you want to hear necessarily all the time. That's not going to help you grow and heal. Let me blow smoke up your butt and you know tell you what you want to hear. That's totally. I had friends of mine that used to cheer my adultery. That was helpful, huh? I mean, seriously. I had really good friends going. Oh, come on. You know why don't you? You know I, I'm just going. Oh, you know if I'm letting that be my primary source of of healing, it didn't. Clearly, it didn't work very well. It was just like you want to be where. The relationships, if you want to really make change in your life, your relationships, your primary relationships and the people that you keep in your inner circle are going to need to change to people that actually know how to support that and are committed to growing and healing. And that will be discom- that, that's not going to be the most comfortable thing. We still want to love people. We don't want to cut off relationships. We want to care. But we have to be mindful. Again, big picture. Everything's like, what is the long-range value for what you really want in your life? It says, and you can see this, actually, as we go on, it says, "...therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty." It's a quote from the Old Testament. But there has to be some kind of you know, separation in that if we want to change some of the stuff that we want to get rid of. You want to get rid of some stuff? You probably need to change your primary relationships. You want to add some stuff? You need to change your primary relationships. So it says in, seven, in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Again, it's possible. I know, I was just talking to somebody the other day. Have you ever, I know for me, my brain was so crazy in some ways, I thought it couldn't change. I literally thought it was possible for me to be faithful at one time. I seriously did not know. It felt like such a part of me as far as my thoughts and feelings and everything else. I was just, I thought like that all the time. I was married to my first husband and constantly thinking about having sex with everybody else I saw. That's kind of gross and sickening, wouldn't you say? I mean, that was pretty, it felt like crap, guys. And I honestly thought it was not possible for that to go away. I mean to tell you, this path, and part of this is changing the relationships, it is possible to get to the place where you are not plagued by those things. Whatever your craziness is, maybe it's not as crazy as my craziness, but whatever it is, it's possible. Whatever the out of control stuff is, whatever the, whether it's depression, you know, what are the things you know, whether it's self-loathing, whether it's shame, whether it's any of those things that make you crazy and feel out of control, I, I've, I've seen it for me and I've seen it for other people. It is possible to get healed. I stand before you. I am absolutely, that those thoughts and feelings do not enter my mind at all. They are gone. I don't have to fight them. I don't have to battle them. It feels amazing to have that kind of peace. I never thought it was possible. Often I've said I really feel like God took my brain out and put another brain in there. Way better one, mind you. Way more enjoyable. Not so crazy. But that's what this is talking about as far as the whole thing of separating yourself and purifying yourselves and anything that contaminates body and spirit. The things that are poisoning us inside. In verse 2, it says, Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. And we have exploited no one. Oops, sorry. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bound. Because what happens, and you'll see, is 1 Corinthians, I'll remind you, was quite a reproof epistle. Reproof is like slapping you upside the head you know you are out of control and so what do you remember in first Corinthians what some of the things were that he was saying to them that were kind of pretty intense? Anybody remember? Some of the crazy things what? What is it? Gossip? yeah, that's one thing. there's crazier. Drunk during communion yeah. Using communion, to get drunk, that's kind of what else? Guy sleeping with his mom, right? <laughs> just saying. Uh, <laughs> there was uh there was the whole thing about everybody wanting to do like show off their spirituality and just say, ah, oh, I've got a word, I've got they was ego driven as far as their ministry goes. Bunch of things that were not good. So he First Corinthians was like not he wasn't nice and soft and gentle he was just like boom boom you know and so when we're reading this it's in the context because these are the same people that he's saying it says for when we came into Macedonia this body of ours had no rest but we were harassed at every turn conflicts on the outside fears within but God who confronts the down comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus which is really cool God will always comfort you in difficult times when you seek him out. And it's God and people. You need comfort in rough times. Com- formula always works. God, people, God, people. So Titus was somebody that comforted them. And not only by his coming, but by the comfort he had, you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it wow. So he he wrote that letter, and it caused... Now here, we're going to talk about the sadness again. He wrote them that letter that made them sad. They weren't happy. They weren't rejoicing. And he's like, I don't regret that you were sad. <laughs> I have no regret. But here's what's interesting, because you think about that, which is, you know, though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. So it's kind of funny because... Like, you see the humanity in this. This is not, like, cold callous thing. Paul's talking about how much he loved them so much. And it was hard to write them that letter. It was not fun. Because guess what could have happened? They could have gone, screw you, Paul. You just, you know, who are you to tell us anything? And these are people he loved and he cared about. So it was a risk. He was risking them rejecting him, getting angry. That would not have, it doesn't feel good. These are real people in the Bible, they're not like little cut-out people. They have, and you can see that it's just as messy. It is not fun sometimes to tell somebody when you think that they're falling off a cliff. It's not fun to have hard conversations with people. And his whole letter was kind of hard to tell them where they were getting off the ball. And so he's like, it made you sad, but I don't feel bad about it. But I kind of did because I hated, feel. you know, he's like kind of like you can feel the the fight in his heart, you know. I don't regret it, but I kind of did because it, you know, wasn't fun going. It wasn't fun for him either. Um, But he he loved them so much. And so it says, though I regret it, that I see my letter hurt you. See, hurt and harm. Hurt's not bad. Just because it hurts doesn't mean it's bad. It says my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Good hurt only hurts for a little while. How cool is that? Good hurt is not permanent. It's short term. Um, Because you get better and feel awesome afterwards. But only for a little while. Yet, now I'm happy. not, Not because you were made sorry. But because your sorrow led you to repentance. The word repentance is to have a change of heart. Good sorrow, the good kind will lead you to repentance, it says. Um, or to a change of heart it will lead to change good sorrow guess what doesn't lead to change that i bet you think does or have thought i used to think this you know harsh voices and sh- feeling shame and beating up on yourself and <sighs> condemnation shame are not i that they cannot ever ever lead to healing Getting stuck in this pattern of uh, I'm a, um, worthless, so oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm horrible. Uh, you know, I don't deserve anything. Blah blah blah. You know that. There's one thing to be sad, but if it's not moving into I screwed up. Now what? Let's. What do I got to change here? It needs to go into what the, How do I learn from what just happened and change whatever has happened? What can I learn from this to make it better next time? Where did I get off the mark? We want to, there's this saying about failing forward. You want to fail forward where it moves you someplace. It says, uh, because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. There is sorrow that God intends for us to feel. It's the wake-up call. You know, it is some of the, honestly, I've made some of the biggest changes in my life from crash and burn moments. I hate that it takes me that to learn. I am so determined right now not to have another one of those. I'm in the, I'm in the being aggressive. I'm, I want to be so aggressive about my growth because I hate the crash and burns. I've had some lows, man, where my face, it talks about like your face being down in your own vomit. I've had a lot of those where it felt like I was just so bottom. Sometimes it's faces down and crap. Crap, vomit, whatever, it's bad. I've had a bunch of those moments, and those have been horrible, horrible, painful. But that pain is the stuff that said, I got to change. We change when we get that it hurts us too much not to change. That's, you know, you get... I don't want to learn that way anymore though. I don't want to wait till my face is in the vomit to learn my to learn and make changes. I want to be going after that stuff. I'm like, oh, I hate it. And but that's the thing, is if is if that if you have a wake up moment that moves you someplace, that's if you let it move you, it's good. It says <clears throat> You became sorrowful as God intended. So we're not harmed. See, hurt and harm, hurt and harm. You can feel like crap and it doesn't harm you. There's productive feeling like crap. Grieving is not harmful. Grieving does not, a lot of healing, for healing to take place, and we're going to talk about, uh, maybe I'll read this next verse and then I'll talk about that. It says in verse 10, Godly sorrow, There's godly sorrow, sorrow that comes from God, brings repentance, repentance, a change of heart that leads to wholeness. That's good sorrow. It should help you to want to change your heart and leads to wholeness and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So we have two kinds of sorrow. One is godly, one is worldly, and the worldly brings death. I want to look at a couple of examples of that. Depression <clears throat> depression comes from not grieving sad things. You know what depression looks like? It's like you feel sad, blue, don't know why, usually. Just feels like you have no power, you can't get up, you can't get anything done. You just feel low, blue, don't even know what the cause is. And it just goes on and on and on and on. You know, and Cloud and Townsend say depression comes, which I believe is true, from not grieving. Depression comes from shoving bad stuff down and acting like it's not a big deal. And it's just packed in there. Just shoved down. Ignore, 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 ignore. Pretend nothing's, everything's fine when it's not fine. And over a while... You got depression. Grieving, what grieving is, is godly sorrow. Grieving, and the Bible talks about grieving and the value of grieving, that there's a time to weep, there's a time to mourn. When you let grieving is a matter of connecting with real loss in your life. Taking time to just go, I really did care, I lost something that mattered to me, and letting yourself just give over to the feelings and, and not being alone in it. Grieving is not meant to be done by yourself. Because when you grieve, you're letting go of a loss. What grieving is is saying, I really did lose something. Shoving it down is saying, I'm fine. I didn't lose anything. It didn't really cause me any harm or damage. I'm fine. I did that. I was sexually abused when I was a girl and just acted like I'm fine. I was proud of it. I am fine. Didn't affect me one bit and just ignored it. Not having any idea that it was showing up in me having all these destructive relationships because I never looked at how destructive that sexual abuse was when I was a kid. I just acted like it was no big deal. I'm fine. I'm a tank. I was proud of it. I'm so tough. I can take it. Didn't get to me. You know, me trying to play it off that I didn't have any feelings or didn't care or shut myself off from my emotion did not get me healing and i was not able to have healthy relationships because i couldn't see what healthy and not healthy was until i went back and looked at what had happened to me and allowed myself to grieve and get that i really did lose something and it was horrible what happened to me it was horrible it was destructive it shouldn't have happened i was a little girl it was wrong and just to be able to grieve and sob. And when you do, you let go of something. You're giving, and it's a loss. You're going, I really lost something to acknowledge it. And so it feels giving into crying and tears and sobbing. But you need to have something to put back in that's good. You need God and others to be there to give you love and grace and understanding and to grieve and cry with you, not tell you, it's fine, you'll be fine. That's not grieving. That's, don't, keep those people away. You don't need to hear that. You need people to go, I needed people to say, good God, that's horrible what happened to you. That's sick. It's twisted. That's horrible. You were a little girl. How could somebody do that to you? And people to just hold me and cry with me and give me love and for God to be there with me in it as well. It's God and people being there in the grieving, filling my tank. And that's, that was a big part of my healing, is allowing myself to actually be sad where I was ignoring it all my life. It's the letting go of the loss, which makes you feel empty. You can't just let it go. You need to put good, holy, healthy stuff inside. You need the love of God and people And people grieving with you to fill that tank up. That's the difference between godly and worldly sorrow as far as sadness goes. But there's a few other ones too. There's, um, let's see, just to make sure that. (sighs) Another one. Um, Shaming. Bad pain. Stays, keeps you stuck in it. Critical voices keeps you trapped doesn't go anywhere um, having sadness that for losing the things that you coped because you'll feel a loss with that if you if you had things that made you feel better in the moment um, you know in my in, in my sex addiction, and I decided to become abstinent, there was a loss because there was this empty feeling. So I had to call my friends up all the time to get me through it, because I felt empty inside, because that's how I made myself feel better about myself. So I needed to be calling and crying people all the time. Is this ever going to get better? Is this ever going to get better? Sometimes I would call one friend until I wore them out, and then I would. I'd just call them, cry, 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 and, you know... And is this ever going to get better? And then I call my next, and then I just, but I still wasn't better. So I'd make a call to the next person because I knew I wore one out. And then I'd call the next person and cry, 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 and talk to them and talk to them. And there were times I called four. And I did, four in a day, crying, 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 as long as they could take it from me till the next one. You know, and I did that a lot, as much as needed, a lot. Um, and it changed my life. It was one day at a time, but it changed my life and set me free, um, that process. So there's that kind of sadness. It's the good kind of sadness. What else did I write down? Um, Grieving, uh, John Townsend and Henry Cloud say, grieving is the pain that ends other pains. It ends the other pain. Depression doesn't go away. If you don't grieve, you will stay depressed. It will not disappear on you. It It just will stay there. Stay there stuck. It's like frozen inside of you. Um, ah, give, you know, giving up immediate gratification. Whatever your immediate gratification thing is going to feel like a loss. It will not feel good. It will feel bad. That's a good bad. It's a good way of feeling bad. Uh, say, sadness from changing paradigms. You know how we talked about the paradigm shift of one shift to another as far as ways of thinking? It feels really crummy in the middle. Because there's no certainty and you feel kind of like every, the world is kind of, you got one foot in one world and one foot in another and it feels like you've got nothing solid to stand on. That's not fun either, but it ends. If you keep moving on this growth path, that uncertainty and that feeling of craziness, you'll get through that and it's amazing on the other side. There's a whole nother world. I remember when I started going to my therapist about this stuff. Because I was at such a bottom, and oh my god, I just, I never thought I would actually get to a therapist. I was great at telling everybody else they should go, but it just was like, I had my, I, I was together. I, I could handle my, I could handle my stuff, and uh, so I had to be really bottomed to actually go. It was, I felt humiliated to even go. I felt really weak and really, like, wow, I just felt really bad uh, that I needed it and that I was that desperate. But I went, and she told me about how life w- worked in a different way. And I thought she was absolutely crazy. Her her rules for living were the opposite of mine. Opposite of mine. It was just, like, her logic. And I left going, y- she's crazy. Like, I argued with her about it all. Um, and argued. I basically went and argued every week for a while. and um, And I thought, and I almost didn't go back after the first visit, really. I was just like. She doesn't have a clue. And then I thought, (laughs) the only thing that got me back there was looking and going, you know, what I'm doing is not working at all. And I don't have to actually believe what she's saying, but it wouldn't hurt to just go and see what she's got to say every week. And I'm going to see if I could persuade her over to my side. I did. I tried every week to try and give her the reasoning of how I was seeing things. Every week, it was just sort of like, and I just thought, well, I could go listen. And then it was just sort of like, oh, I'll try some things that she said to try, even though they sound stupid. I was just like, okay, I'll tr- not going to cost me anything to try it. And it's in that process of going from, cra- it was the weirdest thing. But the more that I tried this whole new way of life out, it was working. And I was feeling happier and better and all these things. But it felt really crazy in the middle. It felt like I didn't know where I was going. It really, I really had no idea it was going to go anywhere. It was more like, what else have I got to lose? Where I'm going, I know where that goes. I know where that's heading. Been down that road for a long, long time. You know, I was one of those, You know, they say the definition of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. That was me. Doing the same thing, but somehow magically, it was all going to be different someday. Uh my husband was gonna change and we were all gonna have and we were gonna have a great marriage and he wasn't gonna be a crazy alcoholic abusive person. And um and my life would be better. I just needed to figure out I, I went to her to find out how to change him and make my life better. That's what I wanted her to show me how to do. Just you just need to explain to me how to make him change and my life will be better and yeah. Um so, Moving from one paradigm, one world way, one rule set of rules that you're living by into another, the middle ground is is uncomfortable, uh, and not not it's not going to feel good. Um, pain that comes from leaving bad things is good pain. Uh, pain from changing paradigms, from a one that doesn't work to one that works, the pain that you go in the middle is good pain. Giving up immediate gratification is a pain that's good. Uh, The grieving is a pain that ends other pains. So those are some really good pains. Bad pains are depression, shame, critical voices. Those are bad pains. Those are not getting you anywhere. Um, Let's just, uh, a couple more verses to wrap this up. So we got godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. You get the, everybody clear on the differences? What the, the big picture is the answer really. Because it says in verse 11, See what godly sorrow has produced in you. If it's good sorrow, it should have some kind of good fruit and good result. If you've got some kind of pain and there's not some fabulous ending in it, it's not it's not good fruit. So it's really what does it produce? What's the fruit? What's the benefit? What it's produced? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm. It's kind of cool. Like it should produce an eagerness to clear yourselves, the indignation, the alarm. You know what? When we're dead inside, we don't see when there's problems. We should be alarmed at times. Being alarmed means our feelings. I was so calloused, horrible things would happen, and I'd be like, no big deal. And I was proud of that. You know, feeling calloused is not good. If we have no feelings, that we can't feel pain when something's bad. And I had conditioned myself, because of my history, to not be able to feel bad things. That's how I got through. That's how I coped. I don't feel anything bad. I'm fine. I'm a tr- I'm a tank. I don't feel p- physically. I even have a problem feeling physical pain still today because of my abuse. It's really crazy. I broke three ribs and went snowboarding, uh, you know, that that day with three broken ribs to- I mean, seriously, I got really wacky stories like that. So I'm even learning how to feel physical pain because it's good to feel it when it sets off an alarm. If we couldn't have feelings in our hands, I always think of this example of how destructive this is. You think, oh, well, I don't feel pain. So if I put my hand in a fire and didn't feel it, is that good or bad? You know, if I don't know my hand's in a fire, but I, I feel nothing, I will have no hand left. So yeah, I'm not feeling the pain, but I will lose my hand. And that's basically the idea that we want to be, we should be able in our healing process to be alarmed by bad things. That's a part of, you need to gain the feelings back in some ways. If there are places that you've calloused yourself or taught yourself not to feel, it's not good. It's not healthy. It's not, long range, it'll just keep you miserable and stuck. It's a quick fix, you know? It helps get you through a little bit, but there's no real happiness in it. I feel like I've come alive emotionally. I used to be dead. I used to not be able to cry, but I also used to not really be able to care, you know, or love. You know, I feel alive emotionally, and I love that. You know, I love that. I've just like it's just like that scripture about God will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. It says in, um, oops, where we are. Uh, what alarm? What longing? What concern? What readiness to see justice done? You. At every point, you've proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So they basically responded to the letter that he had written saying where they were off the ball, and they responded in this really wonderful way that they were alarmed. It caused them to go, oh, to really get it and see it and be willing to see the dark stuff. And they were alarmed by it. And then it says, that's a good way to respond. (laughs) I remember my last crash in My this friend of mine called me up, and I was telling her my side of the story I was really envious of this person and my heart was really dark. And she says, you are so out of touch with reality. God, are you so, she was just like, you have no clue. You have no, you have no self-awareness whatsoever. I was just like, it was, she was just, I was like, wow. But it got my attention, you know. It's good if it gets your attention. I do not regret that at all. It felt terrible hearing, she was just lashing into me. It felt terrible hearing those words, but it was great. It changed my life. Um, it says, verse 12, even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or the injured party, but rather that before God, you should see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. Seeing people change and grow is refreshing. It is. It's really, really refreshing. It's inspiring. It inspires me. That's what, you know, half the fun of being in this. Um, Oops. Uh, In verse 14, I had boasted to him about about you, and you... Not embarrassed me, but just everything we said. It's kind of cool because you see how Paul just wanted, he was fighting for them and wanting the best for them and rooting for them and saying, These guys are great, they're great, you'll love these guys. And then they really were off the track and then he wrote them a letter and then they came, you know, it could have gone the other direction where they got mad, but instead they responded. He's like, Yeah, I told them how great you guys were, that you're open to this stuff. You're not stubborn. Um, it says, I had boasted about you and not embarrassed And uh, everything he said was true. So our boasting about Titus has proved to be true as well in his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. So they were meek to receive. That's the, it's kind of cool. Like it's not the easiest thing to hear negative feedback, but I'd rather hear that. If I'm doing something stupid, guys, tell me. I want to know. I want to change it. I don't want to be walking around. Um, I always think about it like having spinach in your teeth. You know, like if you have a big clunk of spinach in your teeth and you're walking around and you know, it's people are too embarrassed to tell you, I, I want to know about the spinach in my teeth. You know, or you know, obviously the worst things. I, because I want to fix it. I want my life. I want to seek that out so that I'm being proactive on this stuff. I want to grow and change. I don't want to wait for the crash and burn. You know, I can, I'd can. i rather embrace the good sorrow. I'd rather grieve. Now, honestly, I get excited about grieving. <coughs> I'm always having kind of... I had a pretty horrible childhood, pretty intense and radical. And I'll have, like, flashbacks of things that I'd forgotten. <coughs> and I'll tell my friends. And I really... It blesses me, because I just, I'll share it, and then they give me love, and they tell me, oh, that's horrible, and I feel cared about, and I'm like, now I'm like, let's go for the grieving. feels great. I don't want, I don't want shoving stuff down. I don't want to be ignoring stuff. I want to, you know, flesh this stuff out, because it helps me to move forward, and to heal, and to grow, whether it's that, or whether it's me doing something stupid, or, you know, whatever. I want, I want it. Bring it, bring it, bring it, because it's amazing on the other side. You know, I want the short-term pain, not the long-term pain, you know? Uh, so anyway, let me uh, pray and bless the offering, and then we got some announcements. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, I guess that's also part, part of the pain is um, <laughs> it's kind of funny as far as trusting you and and how you put in your word to give, and that's not comfortable all the time either. That's one of those things that short-term was like, oh, really? How am I going to do this? Um, and make it work, and and give, and um, gosh, but God, you never disappoint, and you never let down, and as much as it is uncomfortable sometimes to trust you in this, and to trust you with our finances, that you are a God that is absolutely faithful, and has never let your people down, and blesses and prospers your people, and that this is just a way that we can say that we're not trusting in ourselves, we are trusting in you and our finances, God, and um, I feel really thankful at how faithful that you've been in that in my life. So I ask you to bless this offering in the name of Jesus Christ.